Welcome to the Philia Podcasts. We are the daughters of those women who came before us. It is our absolute honour to have met so many incredible women fighting for the liberation of us all. Our role at Philia is to amplify the voices of those women via the Philia Conference and these podcasts. Please take from them what you can. In sisterhood and in solidarity, the Philia team. Hi, Hebo. It's um, Sally Jackson here from Philia. Lovely to speak to you. Lovely to speak to you, Sally. And we're really excited. It's not long now till the conference and we're so pleased that we've got the pleasure of your company um, and the opportunity for more people to hear about the important work that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me and having me and giving me the very important platform. So the pleasure is all mine, really. Oh, bless you. So, I mean, perhaps we could start by um, asking you what made um, the the issue around FGM so important to you and why, why it is that you've decided that you want to work on, on this area? Um, I have a history with this issue, particularly FGM. Um, for me, FGM is something that I experienced as a six years old. It's a trauma that is ingrained in my heart and in my mind. It's a trauma that I can't get away from. It's a trauma that is a life sentence for me. So I just decided that the only way I can cope and fight back was um, to share my experience and uh, make it um, as much as educational for everybody else to understand and get involved with the work that I'm doing. So, I mean, that's... That's so strong of you, having experienced it, to use that experience to try and improve things for others. Was it, I understand that, um, as you mentioned just now, you were six years old when it happened. Yes. Then later as a teenager, you came here to the UK. Is that when you started to to feel you could do something about it? Um, I came to the UK as an 18-year-old refugee seeking asylum and... um, At that moment, um, I wasn't thinking about talking ever about FGM or anything like that. I was just uh, concentrating on getting a freedom as a young woman. You know, uh, just that, just just be a free person to to decide and to do whatever I wanted. But uh, talking about FGM came much, much later, decades later, for me to talk about it and... um, Say actually, I thought I left this back home. I thought it's not with me anymore. But so wrong, so wrong in my doorstep, particularly in a school that I work, I was working with, and uh, that is the reason that I decided I need to talk about it. It's time that I talk about it and not let it rule me as it has, and uh, you know, limited me in terms of everything. I just thought no more, and um, I decided to fight back. And as you say, I think a lot of people think of FGM as being a, an issue that happens elsewhere. Yes. But you became very aware that it's an issue in, in Britain today. Yes, Britain is my home. It's where I live. It's yeah. where I adopted. And uh, it is happening here. There's cases that are coming up that where the girls work in this country. So there's no getting away from that. It's not something that doesn't happen here anymore. It's not something that is not in your culture or in your country or in your religion. This is just a pure cruel, cruel child abuse. And uh, for me, a child abuse doesn't have race or religion attached to it. It's just pure evil child abuse. And it is happening here. And the UK, we've realized that. The government have realized that. Every professional's have realised that and it has become a coalition work, really. 
And, and clearly you've been very much part of that coalition in um, getting those changes in the law, getting those changes in practices, working. I understand you do a lot of work in, in education, both in schools, but also within health as well. I am, uh, how, how would I say this? I'm like a little aunt. I work with politicians. <laughs> with the, We advise them on how to bring about the... Uh, you know, the laws that came out 2015 regarding FDM. I also go to schools, educate young and old, educate the police, the, you know, um, the health sector, education sector, private sector. I'm everywhere that I'm needed. I go internationally as well, advise other governments. So I do as much as I can to raise awareness and to make people understand that this is your fight too, not only ours. And as you said earlier, it, it's about people recognising that this is just purely and simply child abuse. Yes. It's not a cultural issue or yes. a family issue. It's yes. just recognising the abuse. Yes, it is, because with the communities that practice, they deem as a very, uh, you know, part of their culture that to be proud of. But with us, like somebody like me from the community, no, it's uh, it's a very harmful practice. It's it's child abuse, and for me, that is what I teach the community. However you see it, however you believe it is in your heritage or your culture or whatever that you believe in, in this country, it is considered as a child abuse, and you will be if you ever found out, you will face the law. So for me, it's attacking it from that way and um, making them understand why do you want to put through what you went through through your daughter and the answer always is about the social acceptance the social norm aspect of fgm is absolutely massive and overrides even the religion beliefs and that is what they're running away from it yeah and and i think that's something that sometimes people do find hard to understand is yeah. the you know the reason the rationale for doing this to your you know your daughter that you love yeah, yeah. But, uh, from what I understand, it's it's understood as a kind of form of a protection. It is in four communities. Uh, most of them have a different values attached to it, but it all boils down to controlling women and girls' sexuality. But it also comes with uh, you literally come with a price. As a girl, you are a commodity, and uh, the reason being you are a commodity is. Your virginity is a is a it, it brings financial gain for your family. It's also a protection that you can't be intimate with anyone uh, until you're you know when you're mar when you're ready to be married off to the person that your family chose for you. And is also uh, in some communities it, it deemed as a rite of passage to womanhood. And what that is attached is um, cruel things attached to that. If that girl is about eight or nine and she's been cut, and they deem her as a woman. That means early child bride, child marriage, forced marriage, all kind of things follow, which is uh, what we uh, uh, you know, fight about today. But for me, and for many of the survivors, will tell you it's all about controlling women and girls' sexuality. That's why they're cutting girls. And often the, the cutters are female. How, yeah. What do you feel about the women that are actually doing this to, to, to young girls? Oh my goodness, I got asked this question by the journalist and uh, it was actually a whole article that asked me what question would you have if you were ever met your cutter and I, I think uh, I will have uh, many questions but one question I would ask would be how does she go to sleep knowing the blood on her hand, you know, the many screams that she hears, distinctive screams from other girls 
the pain that she's hearing from that screams, all those things, how as a human being does she go to sleep and continue doing that every day, day in and day out, knowing that you are disrupting somebody else's life and you are leaving them with a lifetime consequences, which you are fully aware. How do you sleep with How do you know? How do you, how do you live with that? would be the question I want to ask. And a, a lot of them will have been cut themselves. They, ha they actually come from a traditional family of cutters, which means she is taught by her mother or her great-grandmother, and they're all from the family that have been cut and very proud of it. So she will come from a tree of, you know, uh, from the cutters. She's just one of them. And what we were saying earlier is it's not as if the cutters are necessarily aboard. We now have cutters that are working and, and operating in Great Britain. Yes, we have, and there's a case that is coming soon. It's actually going to be in January where uh, a girl who's under 10, I can't talk about it much because I'm involved and it's in my area, a girl under 10 was taken to the hospital and uh, they confirmed it, that she was heavily bleeding and all that. And um, uh, they, uh, well, once they done the investigation, they found out that the girl was cut and that it happened here. And it's definitely somebody who's a professional that is doing that. Uh, Scotland Yard absolutely believe that the cutters have been flown in because of the so much attention there is on FGM where even the airport we have Operation Limelight where I have been with the Operation Limelight three or four times now. So there is a lot of attention on that and the families are petrified of sending their girls out. They are taking different routes out of UK by going through European countries, taking the Eurostar. So there is a lot of ways they are trying to overcome but mostly uh, we do believe that, um, you know, uh, sometimes some families do fly in uh, cutters. Mm. And so, I mean, it's it's a, a huge task you have on your hands. What 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 are your sort of like your ambitions for for the next year or so? What are you going to be working on? I think uh, what I'm doing right now is a uh, great work, and uh, and this work is not only me. As I said, you are giving me platform as well. Many others have done so. A lot of uh, great people work with me, and I think we are on the right path now. There is a there is a change happening. It's a very small, but it's a change happening in Somalia for the first time. Actually, I'm going to prosecute somebody for cutting their daughter who she died bled to death. So there is a change. There's a tide changing. And uh, I'm so proud to be part of that. And in UK, we actually are doing amazing work. UK has become the in the Western world the leading country in terms of tackling FGM. We had the FBI last year, we trained them and this year they came back as a thank you, gave us, you know, some of their little metals. I don't know what you call them. And uh, yes, yeah, so there is a lot of change in UK and that's time to the government, to the media, to the all the you know, the charities like yours, to the all the people who have actually taken uh, you know, into their heart and said, actually, we're going to be working with you. But for me, my ambitions, I hope in my lifetime I see this ended completely. I really hope. But there is a mandate from the United Nations that says 2030. We should see end of it. And I'm hopeful. I'm still alive. <laughs> and uh, I'm hopeful to see it end. And it will be a joyous moment. Really oh, joyous moment, yes. Absolutely. I'm, ho I'm hopeful too, and I'm yes. sure with passionate women like you, Hebo, yes. on the case, we have a good chance of getting there. Uh, the gobbishite that I am called is not going to shut up ever in life. <laughs>
<laughs> and then it, and then next week I have an amazing, amazing event with Hello Magazine. Hello has taken a pawn to talk about it. Yeah, this is the third time they're putting me in their magazine. And next week there's a very intimate interview I gave, and they have uh, invited all kinds of stars, and they all are coming. Um, I don't know whether to be petrified or be to be squealing and hyperventilating every time I see one thing person. I don't know, I haven't decided yet. What <laughs> so, is happening next Wednesday? So it's been an amazing journey, really amazing journey. And every time I speak to you, Hida, there's something else absolutely amazing that you're up to. It's, <laughs> it's always a joy and a delight. <laughs> it's the people that are that really, you know, how how would you ever thought that Hello Magazine would be interested in featuring FGM? This is the third time they are going to feature FGM. And the first time they put me on the front page with Meghan Markle. So you would not dream of that. Never. I would have never dreamed of that. But the, the, the chief editor has taken this matter into her heart after we had one-to-one -one talk and literally is running away with it and bringing stars into the, into the mix as well, which is amazing to see that. So one, but one of the things I love about Philia and the conference is that yes. we get the opportunity to meet women like you that are changing the world. Oh, my goodness. So I'm I really looking forward to hearing more. Oh my God, it's going to be my birthday as well. Can you imagine that? So it's going to be absolutely fabulous to be with you lot. And, um, you know, I, I'm really excited to meet all the other women uh, who are going to be there as well. So it should be an amazing, amazing event. And I'm really lucky one to be part of it we're looking forward to it thanks for chatting this morning um, thank, you very, thank you for having me thank you thank you bye